You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Uh, the Sundays this month, we've been taking a closer look at uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and um, her role, not only in the story, but the example of her life. Whenever God decided to take on a body, which is what we celebrate at Christmas, and come to earth to save us, he selected the, the timing of his birth, he selected the location of his birth, and he selected all of the individuals who would be on that important stage with him. And no one was more central, of course, than Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the question we've been looking at in these Sundays leading up to Christmas is, why her? What, what is it about Mary that prompted God to choose her out of all of the other women on earth for this tremendous honor? And the secondary question that we've really been focusing on is, what can we learn from her? What, uh, what qualities in her life can be an example to us? Now, most of what we know about Mary comes from the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus. And so we've been focusing really on that. We've already seen the amazing example she was of humility and of trusting God with the difficult circumstances and the uncertain future that was brought on by that surprising and miraculous pregnancy. But what happened after the star stopped shining and the visitors stopped coming? What occurred then? Well, we hear nothing more of the shepherds. We hear nothing of the wise men. We hear almost nothing about Joseph. But we do get a few important glimpses at different points into the life of Mary after the Christmas story. And it's this part of Mary's life that we're going to focus our attention on this morning. And this is an important part of her life. It's really the most uh, of her life, and that's important because we can all shine for a moment. But it really takes a life, a lifespan, to see what is really true about someone. And so as we look at the scope of her life, we get to see that this wasn't just a, a momentary rising to the occasion for the events of the Christmas story. This, this was true of Mary throughout the course of her life. Now, at the end of the Christmas story, Mary is given a prophetic word about the kind of life that she would live. And this prophetic word occurs when Jesus is six months old. Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And while they were at that temple, uh, the prophet Simeon approached them. Now, Simeon is a prophet that had been lingering in the temple court for some years. We don't know how many, but for some period of time, because God had told him that before he died, he would see the promise, the long-promised Messiah with his own eyes. And so he basically had hung out at the temple court because that's where Jewish families would come to dedicate their children. And so he was hanging out in the temple court, and in the crowd probably of thousands, God prompts Simeon when Joseph and Mary arrive with Jesus and says, that's him. That's the Messiah. So Simeon didn't know about the angels in the sky, didn't know about the shepherds, but God prompted him this was Jesus. So Simeon walks up to Joseph and Mary and says some prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah, and then he turns to Mary, and we read this. This is in Luke 2, 34 through 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. So this is the message focused really on Mary at this point. This is what he says to Mary. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul 
too. So up to this point, everything that had been said about Jesus was joyful in nature. We've looked at the circumstances. They weren't easy. They were tough. But the, the words that had been said were joyful in nature. Words that we sing now and we repeat at this time of year. Words like, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Or tonight, a Savior has been born to you. Or peace on earth, goodwill to mankind. All of that is true. All of those words are true. But now Simeon turns to Mary and speaks to her about the reality of what these words are going to mean for her personally. The Lord has indeed come, but not everyone will bow before him as Lord. His offer of saving, of salvation, of forgiveness, and the peace with God that will follow is really true. But what if someone rejects that offer? What this means, Simeon is saying, is that Jesus will turn out to be the most polarizing figure the world has ever seen. And that has proven to be true. Many will speak against him, Simeon says. True. So how will this impact Mary as the mother of Jesus? Well, the words we've read a few weeks ago, I think we've read each week, these words we're going to focus on a little more. Simeon says, what this means for you, Mary, is that a sword will pierce your soul too. Now, this is a blessing, it says, that Simeon's speaking to Mary. How's that for a blessing? A blessing to this new mother. A sword will pierce your soul. It doesn't sound like a blessing. Well, as we said two weeks ago, if you're with us, the blessing of God does not show up in the short term, usually, or in the circumstances of our life. The blessing of God goes much deeper than that, and it lasts much longer than that. And so the prophetic words of Simeon turn out to be true for Mary. Like Jesus, her life was characterized by pain and struggle and sorrow. Of course, we all know about probably the, one of the big moments of sorrow in her life when her son died on that cross, we can only imagine what it must have been like for her as his mother to watch his life ebb away in those long, torturous hours on the death on a cross. But that wasn't the only experience that Mary had with sorrow. What we often don't realize is that it appears that Mary was widowed sometime earlier in her life, that Joseph died. The last mention of Joseph is when Jesus was 12 at the temple. After Jesus begins his public ministry when he is 30, we encounter Mary, we encounter the other members of Jesus' family, but nothing is said about Joseph. And on the cross, Jesus asks John, the disciple, to take over the responsibility of care for his mother. This seems to indicate that Jesus, as the oldest son, had been carrying on this responsibility up to this point, and now as he is dying, he transfers that responsibility to, to John. Now, we don't know for sure when Joseph died, if he died, because the Bible doesn't say it clearly. But it appears, from everything we can gather from the Bible, that Mary was a single mom for a good portion of her life. Now, just think about that for a moment the woman who is considered honored and blessed above all, 
raised some, if not all, of her kids as a single-parent mom. If that is your circumstance, the example of Mary is God's strong statement to you that he has not abandoned you, just like he has not abandoned Mary. So the question we turn our attention to then is, how did Mary survive with her faith intact throughout the course of her life? How did she survive? Well, as we look at the glimpses we get of Mary's life, we see evidence of two very important support structures around her life. It wasn't just her own willpower. That's not enough for any of us to endure suffering, and it would not have been enough for Mary. We see the evidence of two important support structures, and we're going to look at both of these this morning. The first is this. It appears that Mary had a larger family. She had a larger family. Now, we don't know exactly how many children Mary had or the size of her extended family, but I'm not talking about that kind of family. It appears that it was Mary's spiritual family that she turned to for strength and support in the middle of her pain and suffering. Jesus himself pointed out how important this spiritual family is in an encounter with his immediate family in Mark chapter 3. So the scene occurs in the middle of Jesus' rising popularity. He's been performing miracles and drawing crowds because of the miracles and because of his teaching. And we read this in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 in the New Testament. Then Jesus entered a house... And again, a crowd gathers. So Jesus couldn't even walk into a house without being surrounded by not just a media circus, but a crowd. And again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. They couldn't go out and get any food. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. So a few verses later, they arrive on the scene, and Jesus is still surrounded by this crowd. So it picks up in verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother and sister, or my brother and sister and mother. Now, at first read, this is a strange and somewhat awkward encounter between Jesus and his family. It starts with the statement that his family decides he's out of his mind. Now, that statement, if we're thinking about Mary, it it sounds like Mary must have lost her faith in who Jesus was to to think that. But I don't think that's exactly what's going on here. I think Mary still believed everything that the angel had told her about Jesus, that he was the Messiah, that he was God in flesh. But that doesn't necessarily mean she understood everything that was going on at this point in Jesus' life. And that also didn't mean that she had no motherly feelings left for Jesus because he's the Messiah. Here's what I think was going on here. I think she heard that he wasn't even able to eat, and she launched into full Jewish mother mode. That's my guess. I mean, I'm not a mother, but 
Isn't that what a mother would do? What? That's the, that's the thing she would, he's not eating? They're not even letting him eat? Well, I got to go take charge of this. I think that's what was going on. So she didn't go to take over his entire life. She just went to make sure he got something to eat. And then there are what sounds like a very kind of hurtful response, honestly, by Jesus when he got word that his mother and family were here. How does he respond? Who are my mother? Who? I don't, I don't know them. You know, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Ouch. You know, that's not the greeting if you're traveling to see family. That's not the greeting you want to hear. I don't know you. Who, who are you? Sounds like he had either forgotten about his family or saying that they don't really matter. But again, I, I don't think that's the point that Jesus is making. I think what Jesus is saying is he's taking this encounter with his own family to make the point that while earthly families come and go, God invites us into a family that is larger and more stable than even the best families on earth. That is the family of God. The genetic marker of this spiritual family is not our DNA. 23andMe isn't going to identify this family. The genetic marker of this family, the family of God, is our shared commitment to do God's will, to team together, to try to follow and do what God wants us to do in this life. And Jesus says, that's the family that I'm inviting all of you sitting around me into. So Jesus is not diminishing the value of families. He's pointing to the limitation of human families. You see, in a broken world like we live in, family life has been affected by sin just like every other part of life. This, for me, this will be my family's first Christmas without my dad. Because he passed in June. And you may be in a family that is grieving the loss of a family member. Other families will gather under the cloud and the complexity of divorce. Others will gather in the middle of conflict, either overt or hidden. Some families won't gather at all because of the above or more. But what's one of the distinguishing marks of the Christmas season in our culture? We all get a little nostalgic about family, don't we? I mean, every Christmas, we dream about being home for Christmas. So we watch movies and sing songs and see commercials about families gathering to love each other and give gifts. And that's great. And some of us will get to experience that. But there's a lot of people that will not. And for them, the movies and the commercials are an unwanted reminder that for them, that's not been their experience and is not their experience this Christmas. And if we live long enough, like Mary did, we will experience the devastation that death eventually brings to every family. So Jesus knew that Mary would experience probably the most painful family death of all. 
and that is a parent facing the death of their child. So just probably two years before his death is when this scene took place. Jesus, I think, was preparing Mary, and by extension all of us, by pointing us to a family that is larger and that is more eternal than any family we can be born into. That is the family of God. So after this family encounter with Jesus, we don't hear anything about Mary until the cross. And Mary is described as being near or at the foot of the cross, and she is experiencing what Simeon said would be just like the sword would pierce the side of Jesus, a sword would pierce your soul too, is what Simeon said. And so she's experiencing this deepest of griefs. But the important thing you have to recognize is the scene that we are given is not a singular solitary Mary by herself wallowing or absorbing or fighting her grief. She is in the company of others. This is what we read in John chapter 19, 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. There's four women, Mary and three women, that are described as being together. And I'm going to guess that it's not just they happen to be in physical proximity. I think they were there together, absorbing this grief. So one was Mary's sister, a family member. The other two share her name. They're also named Mary. So just think about this. There's the scene that, that is described is four women. Three of them all have the same name. They were named Mary. Now, is that just a coincidence? I don't think so. You have to understand at this point in Jewish history that the name Mary had a very well-understood history. It wasn't like my name. You know, when you hear my name, Bevan, you think, what? <laughs> Never heard that name before. That's not the way Mary was in Israel. This is the history behind the name Mary. It's written about in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. This short book tells of a mother named Naomi. The word, the name, Naomi, means pleasant. And like Mary, her husband had died, and then she had two sons that had also died. So she returns back to her hometown, and the first thing she does as people begin to greet her by name is she announces a name change because she can't bear people calling her pleasant when her life has been anything but. So she changes her name to Mara which means bitter. And in time, Mara became Mary. Mary was a very popular name at this time because the Jewish people were under the oppression of Rome and there was tremendous bitterness. So it was one of the most popular names. So now, four women, three Marys who have become sisters in Christ, stand at the foot of the cross and support each other in grief. This is not just a, an interesting side scene. This makes a point. The pain, the pain of life is too much to bear alone. The families that we are born into, 
can be of tremendous support, but they are not enough to support us through the suffering that we will all face. We need, like Mary did, God's family on earth. There are people in this church that I am closer to than my brothers and my sister and my mother. Why? Because for me, it's been over 33 years now that I have been teaming with some of you to try to do the will of God. We haven't done it perfectly, but we keep working on this together. And that bonds us together in a way that goes deeper than even family ties. I mean, I I love my family. But they, well, they're not enough. And I have needed this family repeatedly. And I am pretty sure I will need this family again. And you will too. So the first support structure we see is that Mary had a larger family. The second support structure that Mary had is Mary was following a sign. She had a sign to follow. She had something to guide her throughout the suffering of her life. The prophecy of Simeon not only warned of the sword that would pierce Mary's soul, but it also told her of a sign that would guide her through the soul-piercing moments of her life. Let's read it again, Luke 2, 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon said that this six-month-old child is destined to be a sign. What does a sign do? A sign gives direction. It's a a visible, go-this-way pointer. Now, what kind of sign, what kind of direction does this Jesus give? Does he tell us east from west? No, he tells us up from down. That's why Simeon says he will cause the falling, that's down, and the rising, that's up, of many in Israel. What he's saying is some are going to ignore this sign. They're just going to follow something else, maybe their own heart, maybe their own desires, maybe someone else. They will ignore this sign, and for them, their lives will be this downward spiral into despair. Others will decide to follow Jesus, and they will find the help from him and the direction that they need to move forward and up in life. This is not talking about circumstances. This is talking about us on the inside. Now, this falling and rising effect will start, Simeon says, with Israel, because that's where the sign was first posted. They were the first ones to see the Jesus sign. But the sign, news of the sign, is going to spread throughout the whole world. It's going to go far beyond Israel to all of us, as it has today. And so in the past 2,000 years, Jesus has been exactly what Simeon the prophet said he would be. He is a sign that will be spoken against. What that means is some people like, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow that. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. The idea is people aren't going to have to necessarily say, 
I oppose Jesus, they're going to live, I oppose Jesus. And that's going to reveal what's in their hearts. Many will speak with words or with their lives against Jesus. Why? It's usually not a head reason. It's usually a heart reason. In other words, it's usually not logical. It's not because they've done a careful read and research of the life of Jesus and find the evidence to be short. It's usually because they want something else, and Jesus says, no, that's not the way. This is the way. It's a heart reason. They've already decided the direction they want to take in life. They've already picked their sign, and they're moving in that direction. And so the question from Mary was this. Had Jesus become her personal sign, or was he just her son? That's the question that all of us have to answer. Was Jesus her Savior and her Lord, the one she's following? Or was he just her son? Every one of us have to make that decision. Mary didn't get a pass on this decision just because she was the mother of Jesus. Everybody has to look at this sign and then decide, including his own mother, whether or not we are going to follow or not follow. Now, for those of us who decide to follow this sign, there are two sides to the following coin. There's two parts. First, we follow Jesus individually. This is where it all begins. In other words, we decide for ourselves. We see the sign, we consider the sign, we know what the sign says, and we decide Yes or no, individually. At the end of the Christmas story, we get an early indication of Mary's decision to follow her son as her Savior and Lord. It's early. A lot of questions about what he's going to do and how he's going to save are still unanswered. But she's already making a move to begin to follow. We see this in a verse we've already looked at, but I want to consider a couple more things in it. This is in Luke 2.19. All the events of the Christmas story are occurring. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Following Jesus involves the same process, the same two activities that Mary did. The two are treasuring and pondering. To treasure means to value Jesus and what he has said above all else. Jesus is not just another opinion on the life, another thought to consider. Jesus is treasured. His words are valued above all other words. To ponder means to put in the time to think about what do these words mean, and how do I use them to guide my life now 2,000 years later? Jesus is the biggest sign that God has ever posted in this world. But it's not this kind of sign that you'll see on the 405. You know, it's, it's not an in-your-face, billboard-sized kind of visible sign. It's a sign that you have to ponder if you're going to see it. In other words, you're not going to see it on the way to work, on the way to work. It's not going to pop up like a message on your phone saying, hey, by the way, Jesus says, hmm. That would be so convenient, but that is not the way it is. Both treasuring and pondering converge in the one word, time. 
It takes time. If we treasure Jesus, we will put in the time to ponder what he has said and use it to guide our life. Because it's not this kind of sign. His words are contained in the Bible, a book that's sitting on your shelf or in an app on your phone. And you are not going to read it, you're not going to ponder it, unless you pick it up and ponder it and do it. If we treasure Jesus, we will put in the time, and we will use his words to guide us. If we don't, then we won't. As Simeon said, this Jesus is going to reveal our hearts. But the second side of the following coin is this. We follow Jesus in a community. This is how we make progress in following Jesus or why we don't make progress in following Jesus. We make progress in a community. We stop moving forward in isolation. Let's say, for example, you're in your car and you're following the signs for San Diego. What do you need most to get there? A steering wheel or gas in your car? Well, you need both, right? And it's the same with Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, follow his sign, you're going to need the steering wheel of your life. You're going to need to check with his words and keep making adjustments. You're going to have to keep getting back on track with following him. You're going to have to ponder. But without the help from a community of faith, you will not have the fuel to make it very far. You'll be like a car, run out of gas off the side of the road. You can, you can turn your steering wheel all you want. You're not getting to San Diego on your own power. So the next time we see Mary, actually this is the last time we see Mary, is after both the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. This is what we read in Acts 1.14. They all joined together. These are family of God people, all joining together, along with the woman, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Looks like his genetic family had joined the family of God. There they are, Mary and those women who had been at the cross. They're gathered with the other followers of Jesus Christ in prayer. That was, if you read earlier, that was the last thing Jesus had told them to do while they waited for the arrival of the Holy Spirit to spread the news of Jesus into the world. So the next time we see Mary after that soul-piercing cross event is she is moving up. How? The same way we can orient ourselves and find up after life has buried us, by joining together to collectively look up. We do this as we pray together, we do this as we have conversations together of faith. How often were they doing this? Occasionally as their schedules allowed? No, they were doing it constantly. That doesn't mean we all have to do it constantly. What that means is the more you suffer, the more you need the family of God. This was the very beginning of the church. This small little gathering was the beginning. So when suffering hits, we are completely disoriented. It's hard to know up from down. We need help from others to make our way forward and up. 
And what I've learned is we don't so much need instruction from others. What we really need is their presence and their prayers. When my dad died this last year, I, many times I didn't know what to say. I, I, I was, I'm a man of words, and I was at a loss for words. And I didn't necessarily find advice from others particularly helpful. What did help me was just the comforting presence of people in this church and their prayers. You know what was actually most helpful for me? Is being able to listen to other people pray. It's like I could, I didn't know what to say. I didn't have words. But to hear other people pray to the God that I also follow, I could piggyback on their words and their faith. And it was tremendously helpful. This is what Mary did. She gathers constantly with others to find up. So I know that some of you are suffering today, and you're struggling to find your way up. And I just want to tell you, you're in the right place. There's only one person who can guide you forward, and that is Jesus Christ. And there's only one family that can love you and support you in the way that you need, and that is the body of Jesus Christ, his church. So let me give you some next steps. These are the next steps that we've repeated in this series, but here they are. If you have not, consider accepting Jesus as your Savior and Lord. In other words, just saying yes to the sign. If you have questions about the sign, then make a list and make it your top priority to seek answers to those questions so that you can make an informed decision about the sign. Second suggestion is read the story of Christmas for yourself in the Bible. This is the last week of Advent. One of the traditions is to read the story of the birth of Jesus in the days leading up. So here's a QR code to a four-day plan. So four days reading the Christmas story. So you can just scan this. It'll take you to an app that will get the Christmas story to you this week in four days. The last suggestion is make gathering every Sunday at Seabreeze a priority for the next three months. The thing about the family of God is that it's not like a restaurant that you can walk up to and order help from. That's not the way families work anyways. It's as you are part of the family, as you invest in the family, as you build relationships in the family, you are preparing to receive the help that you need when you need that help. So make gathering every Sunday at Seabreeze a priority for the next three months. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you for the example of of Mary, the one that you chose to be the mother of Jesus. Her example of humility, her example of trusting you in the difficulties of everything that occurred around your birth, Jesus. And then the example of her life, of being an active part of your family and of following you as her Savior and Lord in life. So in this Christmas season, we're all going to have different experiences. 
some of us will experience a season of joy. Some of us will experience a season of just real suffering and pain. But you are the sign, and we seek you, and we aim to follow you. I pray for those who in particular are suffering in this season. God, I pray that you'd comfort them. I pray that they would reach out to other members of the family of God to just let them know, to pray with them and to pray for them. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.